alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are worthy of our lives. So we lay down our lives at your feet again this morning. We lay our minds at your feet that you would instruct us and be our teacher. We lay our hearts, Lord, at your feet that you would mould us and shape us into the sons and daughters of God that you've ordained us to be. You are the one who is trustworthy with us, Lord. And so we place ourselves in your hands again this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, uh, let's grab a seat, people. Thank you, Laurie. Thanks, guys. That was, that was really nice. I'm a, I'm a musician, and I love to play for him, but sometimes I just like to, to see it stripped back and just to hear the voice of God's people just lift his name high. It's very special. So thanks for that, guys. Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 to 47, people. It's the church doing what it order. That short testimony describes a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit, actually living out the mission that God has given it. It describes a kingdom community in a, in a nutshell. And there's so many powerful elements of God's will for us in this, this short text. But this is a kingdom community following the plan that God has for it. And that's, that's what we want to be, right? That's what we want this to be, a kingdom community following the will that God has for us. And so I've been studying this text over the last few years and, and teaching on it here over the, the last few months. And this morning I believe that God has another awesome kingdom truth that he wants us to thrash out and grab hold of. So uh, are you ready? Let's do this. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And that's what we're going to talk about a bit this morning. We're going to talk about what it really means for a church to praise God. Now one of the problems that people face coming into the church is that they often don't understand our language. 
Now, uh, they may speak English. Most people speak English. But not everyone speaks Biblish. Now, Biblish, Biblish is mostly English, though it has other languages kind of mixed into it. Um, but it's a language that's really only spoken uh, in, in churches. It used to be spoken uh, in schools at various times, and it used to be spoken at scouts and girl guides and all kinds of other places. But Biblish isn't really very PC, so it's kind of been kind of cut out of uh, pretty much everywhere except Shine TV and here. Um, so Biblish is full of words that are, are technically English, um, but a lot of people have forgotten what they actually mean. Uh, Biblish is full of words like hallowed, extol, magnify, which is also a normal English word, uh, awesome, which is also an English word but very different, um, holy and glory, and I could go on and on and on, words that we use all the time and we, we sing them in our songs and we read them out uh, in the Bible verses that we read. But I wonder if sometimes even we can lose uh, what their meaning is. Uh, and do we ever really explain them to people who didn't grow up uh, speaking Biblish? I think we take a lot of these words for granted. And so all the time, people who are new to the faith, but also people who have been in the faith a while, uh, can often miss the point uh, of what God wants to reveal uh, because we don't explain uh, the words. And so it is with praise. Praise is an interesting word, and we use it all the time. And from the numerous conversations I've had with people about praise, uh, it turns out that most Christians believe that praise uh, is the first three songs that we do at church on a Sunday. The fast ones. That's, uh, you're laughing. You're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right, isn't it? Uh, when the Bible speaks of praise, the Bible's not talking about a musical genre. You know that, right? Um, when Jesus taught uh, his disciples how to pray, and engage with God, he started his famous prayer with praise. But we often miss this because the uh, English translators of the Bible uh, used a word in, in this verse that we don't ever use, pretty much ever. Uh, but we'll have a look at this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 12. And you know this one. And we could all probably close our eyes, most of us, particularly those who grew up speaking Biblish. And we could, we could read this out. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed is your name. Hallowed. What does that mean? What do we think hallowed means? When, when was the last time you actually used this word outside of reciting it? from rote like this Does it, rugby grounds I thought about it that's the only other time I've heard it used the hallowed turf of athletic park okay Gisberg agrees right. thank you Mr Cummins the brain on this guy hallowed means sacred 
greatly revered or respected, honored as holy, uh, and acknowledged as worthy. So in the context of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed means, O Holy Father, may your name be greatly respected and revered. May you be acknowledged for who you are, O great and mighty one. That is what is in that verse. But we just jump over it. We just say, hallowed, hallowed be your name. Not recognizing that this is a significant exclamation of praise. How often do we talk to God like this? Probably not very often, right? Because it just sounds so religious. You know, Jesus is my best friend and that's not how I talk to my friends. What's interesting is this is exactly how King David talked to God. He is described as a man after God's own heart, a man with the most incredible devotional relationship with God. In fact, it's his songs that we sing uh, every Sunday, rewritten for, with new music. David had the most amazing relationship with God. They were so close, but still he held God in the highest honor. But we don't often do so well at that. Now, there is a great mystery in the universe. And that mystery is how a holy, almighty God would ever call us friend. I, I don't get it. I'm very happy that it's the case, but I don't understand it. He is so much greater than us in every regard. He is so far out of our league that we wouldn't be able to quantify it. And yet he loves us and calls us sons and daughters and friend. Now we should marvel and be confounded at the mystery of it all. But the pendulum has swung so very far in the other direction. The problem with the contemporary Jesus is my best friend emphasis is that it brings God down to our level. Now God has called us friend, this is true. But somehow in uh, this crafting a, a uh, an in, uh, individual personal relationship with God, which wasn't always the case in church history, we have brought God down to our level so that God becomes one of our friends. Like our other friends, but just a bit better. So we talk to him like we might talk to our friends. In fact, we can often talk to him more full on because God's more forgiving. He'll take whatever we throw at him. And so instead of us in awe of an almighty God, who calls us friend, it's God's down here with us. You know, he's my buddy, he's with me. God's my best mate. And we think that that's authentic relationship. But you've got to ask yourself, is that authentic to who he is? You think, we forget how God rolled in the Bible. Think about Moses, a man in intimate relationship with God. They sat together. And in his presence, Moses comes down from the mountain Covered in the glory of God. So people couldn't even look at him. He's glowing. But Moses couldn't see God's face. Moses asked God in Exodus 33, I want to see your glory. But God, his, his glory is so full on that he had to put Moses in the cleft of a rock and cover him with his hand as he walked by so that Moses didn't get obliterated. And then as he passes, he can take his hand away so Moses can see the back of him. 
That's the kind of friendship they had. But no, no, you know, Jesus is my best, my best buddy, he's my best mate, you know. We're boys. Doesn't really work that up. We don't begin to speak to him and engage with him in the manner he deserves. And so we don't honor him. We forget that our friend is the almighty king of heaven and earth. Praising God means recognizing who he is. So yes, he is our friend and he loves us. But he is so much more than that. We forget who our friend is. This requires having some grasp of his nature and his accomplishments, what he has done. And believe me, the more we know him and the more we know of him and what he has done, the more we will praise him. Praising God means recognizing who he is. So do you know him? Do you know him? He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He threatens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He rewards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him for you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. 
how you praise. That is how you praise. That is recognizing who he is and declaring it for his glory. That is how you praise. Yeah. Hearing Reverend Lockridge declare God's glory makes me want to give my heart to God all over again. And that's what praise does. Hearing the glories of God lifted high pulls your heart to heaven. That is our king. Now, it's one thing to do this here, and we do, we do it every week. Not like that, but we need, to, we need to do that. We sing wonderful songs that praise His character and His works, but is that it? Is praising God in here on a Sunday really all that honoring to God? And why do we do it? Do we sing songs of praise because that's just what you do on a Sunday? And everyone else around us is doing it. How much is praise really about songs? Amos, chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. God says, I hate. Oh, you know, it's going to be rough when it starts with that. I hate. I despise your religious festivals. Your meetings, your services are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. What is God saying? He's saying here that if our words of praise don't match our actions, then our songs are meaningless. Our words are hypocrisy. Our words are harsh to his ear. Our actions and how we live our lives are the true telling of how we honor God. Ezra 10, 11 says, Now honor the Lord, the God of your ancestors, and do his will. John fourteen fifteen, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Do you think Jesus is making a point here? To obey God is to honor him. To follow his teaching is to love him. True praise cannot just be spoken. It must be lived. So how do we live to praise God? Well, it turns out the Bible is full of verse after verse after verse that describes how to honor God. We praise him with how we treat our bodies in 1 Corinthians 6. 
We praise him with how we endure hard times and suffering in First Peter uh, chapter 1. We praise him with our finances in Proverbs 3.8. We praise him with how we treat each other, John 13.34-35. And we could go on and on and on. To praise God is to honor him in obedience and righteous living. True praise cannot just be spoken. It must be lived. But obedience born of legalism is false religion. The Pharisees were a group of people whose devotion to God's law was greater than their devotion to him. Speaking of the Pharisees, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus is is quoting Isaiah 29. And so this sentiment is carried word for word from the Old Testament through to the New. True honor comes from an honoring heart. Praise must be sincere. It must be the overflow of a thankful and humble heart. Because we can obey God and follow the rules for all kinds of reasons. Because we've been brought up that way or we think it's the right thing to do. But that doesn't necessarily glorify God at all. So coming here and going through the motions of singing songs you don't really mean is not praise. In fact, God hates it. God is looking for worshippers who worship in spirit and in truth. So when we come together to worship, we need to be authentic. Whatever we're dealing with in the world, whatever you had to deal with at home before you came here, and I've got little kids and I know some things you need to deal with in the morning. Whatever you need to deal with before you come to his house to meet with him and his people, we need to remember that he is worthy of praise whatever is going on with us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His worth doesn't change. He's the same God that Moses worshipped on the mountain. He's the same God that gave Abraham and his descendants uh, a nation and a future. He is that same God now. He's the one that conquered death. That doesn't change just because we're having a tough day or a tough week. And so we need to get our heads and our hearts into a space of gratitude. When we're going to come with the purpose of meeting him and praising him, we need to get our hearts into a space of gratitude. Now to do that, we need to give him a little bit of space and meditate on who he is and what he has done. Now, I don't know why you come here, why you're here this morning. But the fact you are here is an amazing opportunity for you to meet with your God and have a very powerful encounter and to leave transformed. But you can do yourself a favor and prepare yourself to meet with him. Prepare yourself walking into a space where you are humble and open before him for him to deal with you. And so what we do on the drive-in or in the time before the service is we fill our minds and our hearts with a meditation. Who is my God? What has he done for me? What has he done for us? And the more we meditate on these things, our heart opens up and warms and prays for him. And so then what happens at 10 o'clock when we kick things off? That's just an overflow. 
a response to who we know he is and what he's done. The more we meditate, the more our hearts will be turned to thanksgiving. That is what we're thinking about on a Sunday morning. How great our God truly is. What happens in here is not about us. It is about him. But it can't just be here. If we only ever praise in this room, something is very wrong. Do we sing his praises out in the places where we live, where we work, and where we play? If praising God is just for this room on a Sunday, then is it true of us, as it was for the Pharisees, that we honor him with our lips, our lips, but our hearts are far from him? How often do you talk to God? How often do you talk about God to others? And when you do talk about God, how do you talk about him? Is God's fame and renown increased in your sphere of influence? Do people in your life have a greater appreciation of who God is because they know you and you declare his praises? Is there any parallel between what we do here on a Sunday and what we do in the world? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our praise is not supposed to be trapped in here. The mission of the church is to take the glory of God to the world. The world doesn't know him, but we are his ambassadors. So the Bible calls us ambassadors of God. We represent him. We sing his praises to the world. It is our job to tell them about him, and so we must take our praise to them. Jerusalem in the Bible is a picture of the church. Jeremiah prophesies this in chapter 33, verse 9. Then this city, Jerusalem, the church, will bring me renown, joy, praise, and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. Psalm 96, verse 3 says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit anointed the disciples, and they began to speak in tongues, do you know what they said in those miraculous tongues? So Holy Spirit comes down and they start uttering things in a language they have never learned. Do you know what they said? Mm-hmm, that's right. Acts chapter 2 verse 11 says, The people from all nations heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own language. That is praise. Full of the Holy Spirit, the first disciples praised God in languages they could not have um, known. A large crowd gathers, amazed, Peter preaches the gospel, and 3,000 people are saved that day into the kingdom. It started with praise. 
That's what gathered people together. Hearing God praised in their own tongue, amazed they wanted more. And that is the foundation on which Peter preached. And that's why we start our services with praise, declaring the glories of God. That is the foundation you want to preach on. Singing about the wondrous cross, that is the foundation I want to preach on. Because our meditation, our heart is full of thanksgiving for who God is and what he's done. But we can't just do it in here. The world needs to know what we know. They need to know how wonderful he is. How loving, how compassionate, how faithful, how powerful, how gracious, how kind, how merciful, how just. They need to know what he has done for us. They need to know what he has done for them. So who's going to tell them? Who's going to tell them these things? They need to hear us praise. And then they will know what all the fuss is about. They will see for themselves that he is indeed worthy of praise. He is indeed worthy of all honor and all glory and all power. And he is more than worthy of their lives to surrender everything that they have at his feet. So just as the church didn't ask people, we need to praise him. We need to let people know what we have found. We need to let them know what he has done in our lives. We need to let them know about his character. And he is everything they've ever hoped of and dreamed of and so much more. They need to hear us praise. Let us praise him for who he is and what he has done. Let us praise him in obedience and how we live our lives. Let us praise him from the overflow of his sincere heart of worship. And let us praise him even louder in the world than we do here. People, let's praise him. Let's stand.